Welcome back to the Art and Science of Sound Healing. I'm your host, Thomas Orr Anderson, recording from my cozy cabin in the mountains of Sewanee, Tennessee, surrounded by lush, thick forests and beautiful waterfalls. Today, our topic is the power of the mind, and we have a very special guest who I'm, I'm very delighted to have with us. His name is Calvin LeHue. And Calvin is a successful entrepreneur many times over, a pilot, an author, a speaker, a family man. He has been a board member of 35 different banking, civil, social, and church organizations He currently sits on the board of the Institute of Noetic Sciences. He is a longtime student and teacher of the power of the mind in a variety of ways, and I'm happy to say he is a dear friend and advisor. Welcome, Calvin. Thank you, Thomas. I appreciate you asking me. (laughs) It's a delight to have you on here. So... To get us started, could you tell us uh, a little bit about your story? I know your your life story is so uh, vast and filled with so many exciting adventures that it's probably quite difficult to narrow down. Someone will have to read your biography. But maybe if you could give uh, um, a little bit of a story about your discovery of the power of the mind and how that that has been a big part of your life. Okay. I guess I could start from early childhood. I was raised in the Methodist church and my mother was very religious. My father wasn't very much, but uh, she had me in the church and I got a lot of hellfire and damnation. Didn't really like that. But uh, both of my parents died when I was a teenager, and Mrs. Albert Gore, Al Gore's mother, invited me to Washington. Her, her husband was senator then, and I started out as a page United States Senate. And I felt like I still needed to go to church, even though I didn't really care about it. But I went uh, one time to Marble Collegiate Church, Norman Vincent Peale in New York. I'd take the train ride up from, to Washington on the weekend, and I bought his book, The Power of Positive Thinking. It started changing my life. It was about the positive teachings of Jesus, not the negative hellfire and damnation. So I kind of credit that uh, with starting all of this. And, And then in college, I took psychology and philosophy as electives. And here again, it was about the mind. Um... I uh, would read books by Norman Vincent Peale, Earl Nightingale, Clement Stone, and here it was all. I, I wanted to learn about life and how to make it easier. My uh, father had a sawmill, no more than a third grade education, and uh, they wanted me to be the first lady to ever go to college. I hated every day of school, but I went because of them and graduated. But I'm glad that. I did learn these things, and one time Mrs. Gore stopped me in the Hall of Congress and said, Calvin, what are you going to do with your life? 
Well, I had to come up with something real quick, and I said, I, I got, I'm going to be a congressman. I said, well, okay, that's well and good. Then you, I was in George Washington University at the time. You need to go back to the University of Tennessee and start building your political group. I didn't. And then when I got, I didn't want to leave. I got to know five presidents while I was up there: Kennedy and Kennedy, Johnson, and Nixon on a daily personal wow. basis. And it was the center of the universe as far as I was concerned. But and I didn't want to leave. But I did go back, and then I realized I don't want to be a congressman. What do I want? I want to be free. I want to be able to fly. I want to have my own business. Freedom, and that's a key point right there. Everybody wants to be free. In more than just physical ways. More about that later. But uh, then I said, what does everybody want? Money. Okay, if I just had enough money, that would solve all my problems. Well, what I had learned through uh, Earl Knight and Clement Stone and so forth, if you set a goal, believed in it, had faith, and act, that's the key right there, taking action, because most people don't, you could do, be, and have anything you desired. So I set my goal to be a millionaire at age 35. Well, something starts happening when you set your goal, you visualize, you see what you want and believe in it and have faith. Something starts happening without that brain, the mind. The law of attraction starts kicking in. It'll attract the right types of people you need to be associated with, the situation you want to be in, and all this start. I mean, miracles can take happen. I, I started writing these miracles down in a book, and you know, I'm my third book I think now. But anyway, uh, I became the millionaire not at 35 but 33, and. I, I wasn't any happier. In fact, I had more problems than I had before. But, and my whole key to all of this is, this stuff works when you set a goal and believe in it. So I wanted I wanted to learn more about this. I sold my businesses, and there was a lot going on out in California. Uh, one particular religion out there, you could phone in and have people heal people on the phone and so forth. And I thought... Uh, it's all about the mind. Ernest Holmes was the founder of the Church of Religious Science, and not Scientology. I just kind of stayed away from that, but uh, I wanted to go out there, and I, I came and spent two years with them. I heard about Tony Robbins doing firewalking. I thought, wow, I, I want to get involved in that. So I was one of Tony's uh, first few st uh, students and study. I mean, studying that and did fire walking across hot burning coals and couldn't believe that the mind is that powerful that you didn't feel any pain whatsoever. It didn't burn your feet. So one thing led to another and uh, founder, as you mentioned, the uh, Institute of Noetic Science is all about consciousness how to raise consciousness around with people and all. This is what we need to do now more than ever on this planet Earth. And he was uh, he was a navigator. He was uh, he walked on the moon, astronaut. And when he got back in the space capsule, he looked out at planet Earth and he had what some people would call a religious experience. He felt one with the capsule, one with the planet Earth. All around him, the molecules of his body, so forth, and it was such a invigorating thing 
And when he got back to planet Earth, he resigned from NASA and formed the Institute of Noetic Science over 40-something years ago. Well, maybe 50 now. And uh, studying inner space instead of outer space. And this is what this is about, how the mind uh, sends out vibrations, how everything has molecules in it, protons, neutrons. Our mind can affect uh, living things. It can affect flowers, animals, so forth. So that uh, kind of, I hope that answers your question. Uh, it was a study of, there's, there's the physical, the mental, and the spiritual. I had been so much into the physical, earning money and, and in the physical and all, ego, uh, being on the boards of directors of all this. And then I got more into the mental, and now it's the spiritual I'm a student of and, and study that. I've got a long way to go, <laughs> but I am uh, teaching best what I need the most. Yeah, very, very fascinating I've been blessed to hear a lot of your interesting stories. So you were, uh, when you were talking about the founder of the Institute of Noetic Sciences, I'm not sure if you said his name, but Ed, Edgar Mitchell was the astronaut. Uh, didn't catch whether you said his name. Yes. I was blessed yes, once to meet him and hear him speak while he was still with us. And uh, definitely an inspiring character. Not many people get to go up in a capsule and look down at the earth. And and it seems that of all the people who have, he was one who um, really got the most out of it. Um, yes. So I have been, as you know, I'm a physicist and student of physics. I've been for the last few days, very, very much devoted to studying about information theory. Information theory is really a big part of my background in physics, but lately I've been returning to some of it because uh, you actually introduced me to Ernest Holmes and the science of mind. <clears throat> and what I've been finding is that there's a lot of parallels between the teachings of Ernest Holmes and, and other such uh, teachers who teach about the power of the mind and a lot of what we've discovered over the last hundred or so years in the world of physics. There's some really interesting things. For example, uh, one of the founders of uh, quantum mechanics, one of the sort of fathers of quantum mechanics, he Werner Heisenberg, I have a quotation from him. He said, the atoms or elementary particles themselves are not real. They form a world of potentialities or possibilities rather than one of things or facts. I find that really fascinating because that's coming from a physicist through, you know, laboratory and theoretical mathematical studies. But then he's coming out saying essentially the same thing. This infinite world, this world of infinite potential or infinite possibilities. And that is, seems to be fundamental to what we call mind. And I know the Institute of Noetic Sciences is a place where a lot of people are kind of working to bridge that gap between our scientific and technological 
acts and are essentially the the spiritual and mental parts of nature. Yeah, there's been such a division over the years between science and religion, and I see that as you indicated, we're getting it's getting closer and closer. Science and religion are one and the same. We haven't just really proven it to to the majority of people yet, but yes, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Tells it in 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 such good form. What you think about, you bring about, be it negative or positive. Yes. I have personally had enough experiences with that sort of way of working in the world to recognize that, in fact, it it does work. Somehow, what we think about is drawn to us. And I think that... uh, the developments in science will eventually have to address that. And I know a lot of people are trying to, but it's, it's very tricky because science has gained its great, great power by essentially ignoring the mind, by leaving the mind out of it. Um, because, for example, you know, a long time ago, uh, you might have, you know, wizards or medicine men, and they might disagree. And one person will say one thing, one person will say another. But eventually, some of what happens in nature is become sort of codified into science, essentially by leaving out the mind. But now we're being sort of forced to face it because it's coming up in in our physics laboratories and quantum experiments and so forth. Yeah, speaking, of, speaking of experiments, uh, one of the person that has done so much in this, and he wrote a book about it, Emoto, uh, Thoughts Affecting Flowers, experiments done where sending out negative, uh, maybe harsh words toward a flower plant actually caused it to decompose. And on the other hand, sending out positive, beautiful thinking, maybe even beautiful music, uh, symphony music, as opposed to hard pop rock and negative music, so forth. So this this tells us so much. Here is science telling us about um, what Jesus Christ was trying to teach us and all about our thoughts and how powerful they are. So this this is amazing that we are coming, and I think in the next five to ten years we're going to be learning so much more that we haven't even thought about yet. Indeed. I have a question that's uh, really a personal question that I always, um, it comes up with me a lot. And when I'm, you know, sharing some of the things I've discovered in this realm with others, it's also a question that others uh, have. And essentially this, if is su- supposing that, and as you and I both know, that our, our faith, our belief, uh, it, it manifests somehow in our circumstances in the world around us, what we have faith in and truly believe <clears throat> somehow begins to be reflected in our circumstances and everything that happens to us and comes to us, oftentimes in ways that seem magical. But suppose a person 
say they they want to have something happen for example say they have an illness and they want to to heal from it and perhaps an illness that that modern medicine doesn't have a good solution and they want to engage the power of their mind as best they can to help heal it suppose that person or at at that moment doesn't honestly believe and honestly doesn't have faith but that they're going to heal but they also recognize that if they did have faith or if they did believe it it would certainly help improve the increase the likelihood of their healing do you have anything you can say about how somebody who doesn't have faith or doesn't have a belief that they want to have how they can go from not having the faith to having the faith? Good question. Yes. Um, in, in, in going out to California and living there and studying how they heal people, it was said that if this person doesn't believe that they can be healed, the odds are against being healed and all. Uh, let me insert here also that, well, let me add to your self-image. If you don't have a good self-image, and I don't mean egotistical as such, but you don't have a good self-image, you, you feel unworthy and all, you will sabotage yourself into negative things and so forth. So you you need to feel good about yourself, and this is one reason in giving to others and so forth. Mm-hmm. That there's a law that when you give, you receive. That that's a universal law. Also, what let me bring out the example of our belief. When I had my first drugstore, my fraternity brother and I went down to Tallahassee, Florida, to open up a, a restaurant, but we couldn't borrow enough money, so we. Let's open up a discount drugstore. Well, that was 1963, and there weren't many around. We discounted every item every day at least 20%, and that was unusual back then, but we were different, and we thought outside the box, and we had to sell twice as many goods to make the same profit as our competition. We not only sold twice as many goods. We sold three, four, and five times. <laughs> we had stores in Alabama, Georgia, and Florida. Then a lot of problems. I want to emphasize, yeah, it wasn't easy. There were times, I, oh, I wished I hadn't gotten in this business. But my point is, one day I walk, go back to the uh, pharmacists, we we uh, hired pharmacists and gave them 50% of the profits, so it was easy to get a pharmacist working for you, 50% of the, of the uh, drugstore part, not not the other part of the But anyway, I went back and Tony was putting powdered sugar in these little capsules. I had never seen or anything heard about this before. And I said, Tony, what are you doing? He said, this is a placebo. Well, and this little lady comes up later, and I see her, and she pays, I don't remember, but it was like $17, $20 for this placebo, something that doesn't cost us over 5 or $0.10. Cents. I said, Tony, this is not fair. We shouldn't be charging her that amount. And he said, Calvin, if we didn't charge her this amount, it wouldn't do her any good. Oh, that, I mean. 
this also, along with uh, Norman Vincent Peale's book, The Power of Positive Thinking, this was another big point of my life that changed me. And, and to this day, there are placebos, unbelievable the amount of going out. That If you don't believe that this medicine is going to help you, it most likely won't. And it's according to your faith and belief, is it done unto you? So that was a big example, and I'm, I'm, I'm taking a pill or two now, and they're like placebos. I believe that they were, and when I don't take them, I, I, I have a reaction to it. So uh, that, that's uh, examples of your belief is according to what your belief is. And this is where a good self-image comes in to help you with, with that. I like what you're saying about... <clears throat> Improving your self-image by which, you know, makes you feel, you know, more worthy of, of good things by, by doing good things, helping other people, caring for other people, giving, sharing, all these you know, fundamental ethical behaviors help someone feel good about themselves. And then when you feel good about yourself, you more easily... Uh, can can f- uncover your your belief in good things are going to happen to you because you you feel like you deserve it. <clears throat> That's really uh, I like that part quite a bit. One one thing I I've been s- studying the science of mind, the Ernest Holmes text a great deal, and one thing he says about this question is that essentially. You practice, you know, visualizing or thinking or uh, trying to believe something, even if you don't really believe it. <clears throat> and eventually, you keep trying and trying and trying and thinking good thoughts. And eventually, something happens where it gets proven to you that it works. Some sort of circumstance that just seems to really uh, indicate to you that it it's definitely due to your own thinking that something somewhat magical has happened to you. And then once you've proven it to yourself through that experience, then it's easier the next time to, to believe without having to try so hard. And that essentially each time you prove it, through some sort of experience, it gets easier and easier. And so it sort of builds on itself until it becomes habitual. Does that, does that run true to you? Oh, absolutely. You start off with little things, little wins. If you set a tremendous big goal that, well, you're going to lose 50 pounds in so many months or whatever, you know, it's better to take smaller amounts and go with that and have wins and then go from there. Starting out with businesses and so forth, as I had success along these, I got larger and larger, took on bigger tasks, and it got easier. And easier. Then I could just like work miracles, <laughs> and I would have things happen that uh, serendipitous things like you would be thinking of something and it, the phone rings and there's an answer there. Um, and you need to start playing games. Like 
I remember walking to the post office once, and there was a penny in front of me on the sidewalk. Well, normally, if you want into the mind and all this serendipitous stuff, so you just, okay, I pick it up, put it in your pocket, forget about it. But I said to myself, maybe, maybe even quoted the words, I can do better than that. I did pick it up and put it in my pocket, went to the post office, coming back, and I wasn't visualizing anything, which is so unusual. And I'm sitting here at my office, and I'm looking at this right now. I've got it framed. This penny, <laughs> on where that penny was, was a dollar bill. Now, I hope people listening to me, I mean, this is the honest truth. I don't know how that dollar bill got there, <laughs> but it was like a little miracle. Unbelievable. And I'm looking at it right now. It's framed. And I put it there framed just to make me realize Miracles can happen. I've had many miracles happen in my in my life. So, yes. Speaking of miracles, could you tell us uh, one of my favorite things about speaking with you is your your vast array of fascinating stories. Are there any other sort of miraculous stories you'd like to share with our audience? Mm, well, I, I've got I know it's hard to choose. <laughs> hundreds probably, but I'd one just start sticking out is I was on the board of directors of our largest local bank here. Um, and by the way, that bank turned down my father trying to borrow a hundred dollars back when he was wanting to get in the timber business. And later his son becomes the, on the board of directors. But anyway, <laughs> I would push the limits. I would borrow millions and by land and so forth. And I sometimes got in trouble. The, the president of the bank called me into his office at Calvin, unless you come up with like 300 and something thousand dollars within the next two weeks, we're going to have to foreclose on your, your loan. Oh, it hit me. And I was so, Oh, it, it upset me. I went home. I think I had maybe a little too much Jack Daniels that night. And, <laughs> but anyway, a miracle. I was starting to, wait a minute, this could change. All of a sudden, the phone rings. It's Tom T. Hall. He's a great musician here in Nashville, songwriter. And uh, his wife and I work with animals uh, a great deal. It's how we got to know each other and so forth. And Tom says, Calvin, I've just come in some money. Uh, Dixie and I have been out to your farm and we love it out there. Have you got a neighbor that can sell me some land that uh, I can build a cabin and be able to write songs and be alone and so forth? And I said, Tom T, I'll, I'll be honest with you. I am in financial difficulty. You meet me tomorrow and I'll make you a deal you can't refuse. Well, we met the next day. And I went up the long valley of my land and had, I knew I was in financial difficulty, so I'd already had my tracts of land up for sale and had a plat, which he had in his hand, had the price on it. We'd go up and turn around and not a word was spoken and get back and he is over there adding up and my heart is pounding. And he said, I'll take track one, two, three, and I'll give you, and he adds up. $350,000, something like that. It was more than I needed. And my heart was just pounding. So I said, and I just reached over with my hand and I said, uh, shaking, I said, we, you got a deal. But then he said, 
what uh, what day is this? I said, it's Thursday the 12th. Well, we've got to close tomorrow. That's almost unbelievable. I mean, that's you have to uh, lawyers have to go in and do research on the title search and all of this. It usually takes about a week and a week and a half. But I felt so strong and powerful mentally and always. I said, okay, uh, I'll meet you tomorrow at the bank at, at for the in the boardroom for the closing. And he got out, and then I made two phone calls, one to, uh, to the bank and reserved the board room for the closing tomorrow at 10 o'clock. And then I called my attorney and close friend, Jack Robinson, and I said, Jack, I got some good news and I got some bad news. <laughs> and the good news is that I just sold Tom T. Hall. Three, he knew I was in financial difficulty. The bad news is we got to close tomorrow. There was this long pause, and he said, well, did you sign a contract? And I know we just had it. So we ended up uh, having a formal signing the next day, money put in escrow in the bank, and the lawyers worked out the the deed and all that uh, title search and so forth. So there's an an example of a miracle that took place, and I've had many of of those. As I said, I've got a little book here that I write these things in that are so unusual that happened. I go to the hardware store. I need three items. And not too long ago, there they are, right there and there. And I walk there by accident. There are no accidents. That's really fascinating. I, I, I love hearing your stories on, on the, one of your books, I forgot. I think it's called metaphysics. One Oh one. On the back, uh-huh. you have um, it's a sort of a pyramid structure of seven. I believe it's seven. It's a ladder. It's a ladder. A ladder. Seven steps to achievement. Do you have yes. that uh, yes. where, where you could tell those yes. to us? Yeah. Okay, I've got it right here in front of me. Seven steps to achievement. This is kind of a summation of everything we're talking about. If you want to become a millionaire, if you want to be president of this or on the board or whatever, these things, this is how you do it according to the way I'm seeing it. And I, I'm not, I don't have all the answers. And maybe things that I say are wrong or not that way. But you get over your mistakes and go forward and, and see the faith. First of all, have the desire. If you don't have a desire to do this or have that, so forth, you're going to be the same you were yesterday. But if you have a desire to become this or that, first, step number two is see the image of that. Have a image of that which you want to be. If it's to lose weight, see the weight you want. To see the appearance. Put as much emotion as possible in that. Number three step is goal. Set it as a goal. Write it down. That's important to write that down because it makes it specific then. Number four, faith and belief. Here's where the Bible comes in. According to your faith, is it done unto you? According to your belief. If you don't believe it, it's not likely to happen. And then number three, this, I mean, number five, this is probably the most important one. Act, A-C-T, take action. Now, this is what stops most people. They get up to there and, oh, I I don't want to go. I can't borrow the money. That's, you know, this. I don't have the education for this. They don't take action. 
but that's that's the most important one. Number six, give. You've got to give to receive. That's a law of the universe. If it's business, you've got to give a product or service in order to receive the compensation, money, or whatever you want it back in. And the seventh one is to receive. Now, there you say, well, why, why would you not receive it? And here again, if you don't have a good self-image, you can sabotage that receiving. Or you don't feel worthy, then you probably won't receive it. You will, you will kill it out. So, again, desire, image, goal, faith and belief, act, give, and also receive. Those are the seven steps to achievement. I took a summation of the years of studying all of this and just thought that's the ladder of success right there. And there are different word, you can use different words to be, say the same thing. I love that list, and I always, always picture it. It looks really nice on the back of your book. This is actually maybe an appropriate time. Can you please share with the audience what your books are and where they might be able to find them? Well, um, I didn't publish that one much, uh, Metaphysics 101. That's kind of out of print right now. I'm thinking about getting that back. But the one that's, the one that's out there now uh, is Flying High. And uh, this couple heard and thought I had done some remarkable things, and they wanted to come and interview me. And they started writing, and, and I'd come to my office, and uh, she developed cancer real bad. And, and I started telling her to visualize, see herself, and so forth. And, and she attributed her coming back to life, and being she was even at a hospice called in. Uh, but she came back to and vibrated vibrations of life renewed her and uh, so she's going around the world now singing songs and so forth like she wanted to do but uh, that's in the book flying high true story shared inspiration and here's one of my favorite authors mark victor hansen he says if you are ready to fly high in health happiness wealth and a deep joy of living. Read my friend Calvin's book, uh, Flying High. Uh, this is that was Mark Victor Hansen, the best-selling Chicken Soup for the Soul. But uh, it's it's uh, about my life and the, and the things that uh, how they started out and how they ended. Yeah, I've read that book a couple times. Is it available on Amazon? Yes, I believe it is. Yes, I think so. Okay, I'll I'll find a link and put it in the description of this podcast. Um, so desire, see the image, set the goal, have faith and belief, act, give and receive. It's it's really yes. interesting to me that, and I think this is really important that. And, and particularly in the context of this podcast, is that that same ladder, the seven steps of achievement, could be uh, reframed to be the seven steps of healing with the mind. Because the, 
the yeah. thing you're achieving, of course, it could be, you know, opening a or starting a successful business or, you know, writing a book, or it could be healing something in your body. And that's, Absolutely. that's why I was uh, excited to have you on here because you're approaching, some, you're, you have a, a, a system or a knowledge base that seems at first not to be directly related to sound healing, but in fact, it's quite fundamental to it. Um, you, you always say, I hear you say many times that out of that ladder, the most important part is act. Could you expand a little bit more upon what makes you say that's the most important? Well, I've just seen it so many in so many other people's lives and so forth. They they start off with desire, image, goal, have faith, belief, but then they won't take action. And that's kind of the real that's the physical part where you go from the physical into then the uh, mental and spiritual. You don't take that action uh, because it's a physical thing generally, or borrowing, going borrowing the money or asking for the job. or um, It's just, it, it's happened to me in my life a great deal. By me taking action, I, now I've gotten in trouble. I push the limit sometimes too much. I'm, I'm probably going to lose credibility when I say this, but I and I, I build and fly experimental aircraft as a hobby. I've been flying for over 50 years, different aircraft, ultralights, gyrocopters, and and things like this. I have lived through six major plane crashes, and that's living on the edge, taking it a little bit too far. But I like this saying: if you don't take it to the edge, you don't know how far you can go. And, and and I I like that. I love flying. I love getting up there and looking down and seeing the big picture. This is part of my success has been uh, getting above it all, looking down. And I delegate. I get other people smarter than me to do the work to, to get things done. And by the law of attraction, the right people show up. This last project that I had... I bought these uh, old worn-down buildings, and it was the largest factory in our area, 17 buildings, 46 acres, 350,000 square feet of, of space in all of this plant. And I turned it into a shopping area of artists and creative people. No Kmart, Walmart, Sears, or Dillard's. I didn't, didn't want that. And I sat down and visualize, see this, and take action, and so forth. And the right people came. The right tenants, I had 67 tenants that came and signed up and had the space and so forth. Um, I just sold that business and land and all. As a total, uh, the first track was $6 million. I sold off some of the that I didn't need, and then 20 uh, 22, it was about $30 million. Wow. It started off, I paid $1 million for all of this. Now, there's an example. Now, pushing it, yes, I had I borrowed $10 million to start with uh, to, in, in phases to get it done. But uh, it, 
it, it all starts with, with an idea and having the faith and belief and then taking action to do it. And a lot, so much of it is mental, not knowing what you're getting into sometime is, is a plus. If I had known, for example, that the, the uh, environmental alone was $1 million, asbestos, underground storage tanks, PCB, I would have never done this. They taught me in college, you do, you do feasibility studies, market analysis, and traffic counts. If I had done that on any of these projects, <laughs> the last three projects I had, it, it wouldn't have worked. And the banks didn't. The banks didn't want to loan me money. I had to, uh, I had to put up everything I had to get the loan for the next one, or I had to sell off everything to go to the next project because banks did not like what I <laughs> did, and because they were so risky. But I liked living on the edge, going beyond the norm, getting outside the box. This is kind of my enjoyment. I don't like being a conformist. So uh, I guess that's had enough about that yet. Forrest <laughs> <laughs> Gump, one of my favorites. One, one thing I really liked what you are saying when you are talking about delegating and you said getting smarter people to do the tasks at which they're expert – and my my approach to sound healing or sound therapy is a, basically based on that same idea. A lot of people will try to, you know, say you have some particular issue, problem, health challenge, and then they'll try to use sound or or other forms of medicine to directly treat that in some sort of expert fashion. For example, you know, I mean, in, in normal in normal medicine, you know, you go to the doctor, say you have a broken bone, the the doctor, you know, does a a process to set the bone, and you know, they know exactly what they're doing. They know how to to set the bone and how to make a good cast and how long to keep the cast on and all. And then people doing sound therapy will attempt to follow that same principle of memorizing uh, things they think this frequency is for this or this sound is for this or or they'll try to narrow it down and do something with some sort of uh, as if they are expert and my my approach and I find it in my research and experience with ancient and indigenous uh, methods of sound healing from around the world throughout history is much different in that it basically assumes that the body the body and mind are more complex and more subtle than our individual knowledge could ever be. And so essentially, just like you would delegate the tasks to people you said were smarter than you. I don't know if I believe they were actually smarter, but delegating the individual tasks to, you know, relevant experts. Likewise with sound therapy, at least with my approach, and this is, I believe, quite traditional, is delegating the healing to the body. Nobody knows how to heal the human body better and and mind than the body itself it's a self-healing system 
And so instead of trying to do healing, instead try to instead aim to set up the circumstances that give the body and mind its freedom to heal so that you know the heart the body knows how to heal the itself better than than any of us do and so using sounds to put someone in a position where they stop they stop stopping the body from healing that essentially a lot of our our uh, illnesses for example stressed based illness stress it is well known to be as best I know, the the number one correlate with cancer. So essentially, stress causes cancer. And so that's that's one of the best examples of the power of the mind, using the mind incorrectly to, uh, to be stressful. And then it's clear that by removing the stress, you're removing the thing that prevents the body from healing. So... I really like that because it's what you're saying about delegating because essentially I believe that the best way, the most efficient way to use sound for healing is to essentially delegate the healing to the body, to, to smarter body parts than, than, than us. So I, I like that. It definitely connects to, um, to sound healing very directly. Along that, along that same line, there's various religions that use the ohm vibration, and I, I, I'm not an expert in this, this field, but I have started studying the ohm, and in meditation, using that, that's one of my ritual parts of my meditation now, when I get up at 4 and 4.30 in the morning, when it's quiet, no TV on, and calmness getting into that calm zone and bringing about the ohm vibration and ohm yes well it it just sets up a vibration throughout the whole body and i think this is a we need a balance if one part of our body is not balanced with the other then you're going to have dis-ease and uh, yes, our body is so fantastic. We can do so much that we didn't realize. It does. It's a computer that's beyond our uh, anything that we've even come up with yet. It's fantastic. So uh, we have so much more power and future uh, events that we can do that we're not even aware of right now. We're starting to learn about vibration in the mind, our thoughts, and how they send out vibrations and affect people around us. Even the institutions that, like buildings, there's been so many vibrations sent out, they affect the atmosphere. You go into a building, you sense something. A church is a more somber feel than maybe the fire hall or police station or something like that that may be getting beyond what you're asking me but uh yes we've got a fantastic it brings up i just co-authored a book called being and biology subtitled is consciousness the life force and one of the authors was rupert sheldrake and rupert sheldrake he uh has a a the only really 
strong scientific theory I've heard that addresses what you're mentioning, the, you know, essentially the vibe of a building that sort of stores or houses, in some sense, everything that's ever happened there. He has his theory of morphic fields and morphic resonance that addresses that. And it's a, a testable hypothesis. So it's actually pretty revolutionary in science. And it's certainly controversial. It obviously is not in line with a lot of the sort of standard scientific views, as are all revolutionary science concepts. But he has a, he definitely addresses what you're talking about. He's also done some really interesting studies showing, uh, demonstrating that what most of us already know, that you can feel people looking at you, even if you have no, even if you can't see. I find it really fascinating that almost everybody, if not everybody, everyone I know, experiences fairly regularly things like feeling someone look at them or, you know, thinking of something and then your mother calls and says that very thing to you right at that very moment. All sorts of little, little experiences that demonstrate that there's more to what's around us than our sort of standard view. I find it, it's fascinating that people will experience that kind of thing They'll experience, you know, feeling someone look at them and the, but then essentially we collectively ignore it and kind of pretend that's not real. Do you have any thoughts about why people, um, resist, uh, acknowledging experiences that they have personally and that everyone else has? that demonstrate that there's there's this much more mysterious and vast realms around us that, for example, you know, how your your thoughts affect things that come to you. Do you have any thoughts about why people so often and commonly resist even their own experiences that demonstrate the power of the mind? Yes, I think it's because the way they were raised, they were taught by their parents to this and this and this is the truth and that's not the truth and they start programming you from an early age. But uh, my mother was very religious and my father was kind of, you marry opposites I think and they were just opposite. He was a risk taker, borrowed money, so forth. I kind of took after my father more. I wanted to be out of the box, to think for myself, and to visualize, to play. I I was not good in school, and especially elementary, because I was always looking out the window. I was visualized. I was playing with my mind. Uh, and, well, so I did not follow the follower. And that's one reason that I had been so different, I think, and to start... Uh, using these principles that taught. So I find it now, it's, it's fascinating to study the things that people uh, did not believe in the past, how thoughts could affect things and 
Emoto about the, the flowers, and we have a research lab at the Institute of Noetic Science, and it's a um, a room that is the walls are very thick, and so and we use experiments how you think to uh, places maybe 200 miles away to someone else, and we've done research in things like this and uh, to protect the thoughts because it's energy our thoughts are energy they're vibrations and so we're just starting to prove all this now but normal scientists a lot of scientists yeah they don't want to believe this and they are even against the study of some of this but uh it's 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 like all the things that happen new that the inventions look how much has happened in the last 10 years in computers, cell phones, and, and, and all. We've just started uh, wireless. No wires needed to talk on the phone now. You hold it in your hand and talk to somebody a thousand miles away easily. We've got to start thinking uh, outside the box. And this is what the Institute of Noetic Science is all about, changing consciousness to try to help the world more. Start inserting love mm. instead of hate and anger and wars. I don't like it when these toys you see on TV for kids and their games that they play, and it's all about killing and death and all. This is going into the subconscious and programming. Mm. Uh, subconsciously, this is not good. If we can start having more love, animals teach us, dogs, cats, especially dogs. I love dogs because they are loving. A dog's tail never lies. <laughs> and uh, that's a whole other story and all. But uh, I just love animals because they they are teachers of, of t- to mankind. I have a big family of deer that live in my yard. My yard is seven acres of forest, and I see them uh, generally two or three times a day, and they're getting more and more comfortable with me. And every time they, every time I see them, I sing. I sing a very gentle, peaceful song, so that they'll. I the idea is that eventually, you know, they'll they'll get the idea, they'll feel the song, and know that oh, this guy's nice, and I I leave them food and ends of the carrots and stuff like that. And there's also woodpeckers here and uh, they're hiding out now, but there's a bunch of chipmunks and lots of different wildlife just living in my yard. And people will ask me, I'll spend a lot of time without seeing many people. And people will ask, isn't it lonely up there in the mountains? And I say, no way. I've got more company than, than I ever had because they're, I just walk outside and there's a big family of, creatures and then the trees themselves when we uh you know look at them in a different way we can recognize they're living beings i i have for the last seven or so years been a student of a medicine man in mexico named tata cachora who in a couple days turns 104 years old and he, uh, I've, I started making a documentary about him or a film about him and asked him basically what is his, 
primary message to humanity. His, you know, if he wanted to sum up what he wanted to give the world, what the world needs. And his primary message is that the that humanity needs to learn to needs to recognize that the plants are beings on the earth just as we are that the that the life of the beings around us trees and all the other plants and animals are beings just like us they're just they're different kinds of beings and that our collective recognition of this and acknowledgement of it will has a lot of uh, will have a big effect on us if we know that the if we recognize that there's these beings around us that instead of being so human centered then we'll change our behaviors in a whole lot of other ways not to mention the more sort of spiritual experiences that can come through things like you know, meditating into a state where you feel as if you're able to communicate with a tree or hear what the tree's communicating to you. Yeah, there's been experiments made where a group can have, call it prayer, meditation, whatever you want to call it, single thought of something to affect and it having, having enormous power. And it's in the Bible, where two or more are gathered together in my name, there I will be also. Now, that the interpretation can be taken quite differently in different things, but my meaning on that is where two or more are put together with a single purpose and a, 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 a goal, so forth, then they can accomplish. It's better than one person. Two or more is more powerful than the one. And this is one of the, my successes businesses. I would have two or more with the same mission, and we would get we would build drugstores, uh, these apartments, housing development, or whatever. It's that the key to that. Yes, uh, our experiments have been to send messages to other people at distances, and and, and it works. We're going to be seeing more and more of this. Yeah, it's really exciting to think about what's possible. And do you you have a, and and what's coming, do you have a, um, obviously there's, and I don't like to, focus too much upon it but obviously there's a lot of really overwhelming global challenges of of an infinite array of uh, problems and challenges facing humanity on a on a global scale and on personal scales based on your life and your experiences with the power of the mind do you have anything that you believe um, could essentially be offered to humanity that from what you've learned that that we can do collectively to help us move into a harmonious way of living with each other and with the earth. Great, yes. Um, I am not an expert in this. I don't know what I'm even talking about here, what I'm about to say <laughs> maybe, but... 
where where it says, you know, where two or more gather together in my name, there will be is this power where two or more minds come with the, a single purpose. Magic starts happening. I've I've proven it on so many levels. And then yes, this I think we could affect global warming. We could affect the weather. Yes, we can affect growing of things by. We're just we're on the threshold of discovering this, where nations uh, having empathy, having love for other people, helping out in emergencies. More and more, we're ha- we're seeing volunteers go and help when there's catastrophes and all, and this is this is good. The the TV is one of the greatest things we've had, but it can also be a real negative. When you turn on the news and listen to all this negativity, it sets they're programming you, and unless you shut it off and maybe go out and get in nature, get into the quiet, listen to the wind, whatever and the waterfalls, this is where we need to spend more time instead of on the internet or in watching TV and so forth. I do watch TV, the news, so forth, but I am an observer more than I'm part of the victim or the actor in this. Be an observer, not attached to uh, these outcomes and negativity and so forth. That's what I'm learning to be more of an observer of the the world and maybe be a part of the good part uh, that's needed. I I have uh, experimented myself with fasting from uh, media. So one year I decided just as an experiment to avoid for an entire year, it was my New Year's resolution, to not look at a single magazine cover except by accident and then immediately turn away, not look at a billboard, not listen to the radio, not watch television, not expose myself to any media that I, other than, you know, listening to my own music and things like that. And then at the end of the year, I, I, I didn't feel such a tremendous difference in my life. And then at the end of the year, I let, I broke my fast. I decided, you know, now I'm, now I can watch the news. Now I can read the newspaper. I finished my goal. I I achieved it. And it wasn't until I went back to watching the news and reading the newspaper and whatnot that I actually felt its effect. It was kind of like if you, I don't know, quit eating meat for a year and then you eat meat it's only then that you know how meat makes you feel or if you quit drinking and then start drinking or quit quit anything and then begin again, that's when you really know how it affects you. And I, I, a lot of people will say to me, I'll, I'll spend a lot of time very focused on solutions. So when I watch the news or read the newspaper, it's generally talking about problems and I figure somebody needs to be out there not looking at the problem, but instead focusing on solutions. And people will ask me, they're like, don't you, don't you want to be informed? Don't you want to know what's going on? But interestingly, I look out in my yard 
or I look in a science book or I read the science of mind or, or whatnot. And I'm actually know something that's going on that they don't know. They know what's going on on the news, but I know what's going on in my sprout garden. There's a, we have only so much, uh, capacity to attend, attend to things. We only have so much attention and we have to choose where, where we put it. And that's one of the things I really like in Ernest Holmes teachings is he's very clear about, uh, choosing where we put our attention and where we put our attention, things seem to, to grow. There's a garden planted essentially that the seeds are our, our attention. And I, I am envious of your being able to watch the news without being, uh, I think it takes some sort of strength or some sort of practice to be able to watch it without being, um, I don't know, affected by it. It's, it's kind of like being able to eat poison without being hurt. Cause it's, yes. it's, uh, I don't think I have reached that level. I'm still practicing. Um, so I appreciate your sharing that. Yeah. Don't be attached to it. Be distant, be an observer. This takes practice, but I can now do that. And, uh, there's cause and there's effect. Most people live in effect. They live in the past and they live in the future, not into the now. And uh, it's important to not be so attached to things and people, effects. We need to be more uh, 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 conscious of cause. First cause is very important. We create our our, our, our now and uh, live in the now. This is something that wasn't easy for me to do, to start living more in the now and instead of the future, which I was in so much before. But now it's the study of being in the now and first cause, causing things to happen in a positive way where two or more are, are helped in this not just your ego that got you on 14 board of directorships at one time and so forth that I've been through. So along that line, the only board of directors that I really like now is the Institute of Noetic Science. And I'm on, not on the board, but a couple of animal uh, functions now, saving animals and helping them. Also, I'm working with adults that have mental problems, uh, autism and so forth. And it's such a reward to go and be with these, we call them students, that have mental challenges and can't function like the norm and so forth. Being able to help and be a part to give money to organizations like this and animals and so forth it, it 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 there is something about when you give you receive it's it's like a mental feeling uh it's it, words cannot describe the feeling you get from when you have given something of great value to someone without the need for recognition of it and the ego jumping up and down S- uh, b- before we wrap up, 
I want to, if you're willing to, if you would share a little more detail about this is perhaps totally off the main topic, but I wouldn't want to finish this show without your telling anything about it, about some of your plane crashes, because it's just fascinating. You've personally crashed six times, you say? As of uh, last month, yes, six. <laughs> my my ultralight gyro helicopter. A helico- I have flown many different planes, but a helicopter is the most difficult plane. You've got both feet, both hands, and not only both hands, but then you've got to twist the uh, wrist to your RPM, your gas feed, so forth. So you got to do all of that without having to think. And I just hadn't done enough of that. Didn't read the 60-page manual. <laughs> I like to get in the plane and start flying. And that's part of my, my wife says I got brain damage on the first one. She may be right. <laughs> but um, one of the greatest things that happened in one of my plane crashes was well it was a gyrocopter and the engine is not connected to the blades up helicopter blades so you have to get up speed in order to get the blades running and there were no manuals nobody to teach you this was back 40 years almost 50 years ago i'm at my farm it's a hot july day that's the first mistake you don't you need more longer runways when it's a hot uh, day I could not make it over the trees t- toward my house, and it was either hit the trees or put it down into the ground. So I pushed the stick down to the ground, and it went down, crashed, and tumbled two or three times. But then a miraculous thing happened. I had an out-of-body experience. I'd never had anything like that. I'd heard about it, read about it, so forth. But I immediately, my my mind, my sight was like 300 feet up high. I could see around my farm. I could see my wife working in her garden. And it was like, look, you could look down and see your body. You could see the wreckage of the plane and so forth. And I had no, I was totally in awe. I was, uh, there was no pain. There was a consciousness that you can't describe. I didn't want to leave this. But then I came back in my body and the paramedics were there and they said, Mr. Leahy, you're too far gone. You're going to have to be lifelighted to Vanderbilt. Well, I have learned that in tragedy, Start looking at the positive. Don't look at the negative. I've, I've learned that many, in many things like that. So I started, and these, oh, the, the, the helicopter, and I thought, oh, oh going to get the helicopter ride here. And uh, so I was looking forward to that. <laughs> and these two beautiful nurses come pick me up off the ground, put me in the helicopter, start taking my clothes off. And I thought, oh, this is great. And the, <laughs> the helicopter started, the blade pop, 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 lifting me up, up into the heavens. I thought, I have died and gone to heaven. But, uh, <laughs> and I could go into stories about other crashes, so forth. But look at the positive. Don't look at the negative. Just about every crash or every disease, everything that's ever happened to me in a negative way, turn it around and just see the positive part of it. Uh, that that's important and, and start kind 
almost like having fun with it. This I, I'm looking at a quotation from Niels Bohr, who's one of the fathers of quantum mechanics, one of the most renowned physicists of all time. It says every great and dif- every great and deep difficulty bears in itself its own solution. It forces us to change our thinking in order to find it. Yes, I, I quote I quote many times. I don't know where I found it, but with every adversity, there is with it a seed of greatness. Mm. Now that 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 a lot of people don't get that at first. But with every adversity, with every adversity that's happened to me in my life, my parents both dying when I was a teenager. That was horrible. I mean, but. Mrs. Albert Gore, uh, Al Gore's mother, invites me to come to Washington. I'm a page in the United States Senate. I'm an elevator operator. I work in, and it transformed my life. It was fantastic. If my parents hadn't, and I opened the chain of drugstores, if I had my parents, they'd tell me I was crazy for doing, or my mother would, that I'm crazy for doing that. But every accident, every tragedy, there's been it, with it a seed of greatness. Yes. Well, I love that. Well, I, as much as I wouldn't want to end this exciting conversation, I think it's uh, probably a good time to come to a close. Do you have any closing words you'd like to leave with our listeners before we go? Well, two words come to my mind immediately when you said that, and I don't know what, sense it makes but peace love we Mm. need that we need to be associated with peace and love if you have love in your heart you're going to be a part of the universe and help those trees growing the animals other people i just wish we had more of that in washington dc by the way uh harry truman got I'll have, have, have to thank for Harry Truman. He said, if you want a friend in Washington, get a dog. A dog's <laughs> tail, you know, never He got on my elevator one time, and I said, and he's already been present. I said, Mr. Has anybody ever told you, you look like Harry Truman? He put his hand up on my shoulder. He was short, shorter than I was. He said, son, I am Harry S. Truman. Now, that made my day. <laughs> <laughs> But with adversity, there is with it a seed of greatness. It can lead to that. It can be a stepping stone to something even greater. Well, I want to thank you. This is a really, really a fun conversation. Maybe someday you can come back and tell us more of your stories on here. Thank you very much, Mr. Calvin. Okay. Lee. And thank you, Thomas. Thank you. I I guess we'll close this show. Once again, thank you for listening to The Art and Science of Sound Healing. I'm your host, Thomas Orr Anderson. Until next time.